Well, today is an important day in the life of our church. As you heard Pastor Patrick say earlier, it is Promotion Sunday, a day that signifies the beginning of our ministry year. Our younger friends are graduating to their new small group classes. Our older friends are settling back into normal routines after a summer of travel and rest. Today provides an opportunity for us as this ministry year begins to dive fully back into commitment to the local ministry of the local church. And by God's providence, I hope to encourage all of us to make a renewed commitment to this body, to this ministry, to God's church. And not just by virtue of the calendar, but more importantly, because of the text that God has given us to consider on this Lord's Day. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And in it, we find some of the most foundational teaching about the identity, the purpose, the work of the church in the whole of the New Testament. And it comes from the very mouth of Jesus Christ himself. And as we, as God's people at Bayleaf Baptist Church, hear Jesus teach about his church, it is my prayer that our love, our commitment to the local church would grow. That this morning we would be reminded of her importance, that we would be reminded of her work, that we would be reminded of the important role she plays in God's kingdom building, and that we would feel the Spirit drawing us together, knitting us together once again for this greater purpose. Here is what we will see about the church today from Jesus' teaching in verses 13 to 20 of Matthew 16. This is kind of a, a summary statement that I hope will guide our time together today as we try to unpack what Christ is revealing to us. The church is a confessional body of faith-filled believers drawn together by Jesus Christ himself who have been given authority to proclaim the kingdom and protect its witness. Let me offer it to you just one more time to make sure we're getting it. Here's what Jesus will teach us in Matthew 16 about his people. The church is a confessional body of faith-filled believers drawn together by Jesus Christ himself who have been given authority to proclaim the kingdom and pro protect its witness. This is who the church is. Bayleaf, this is who we are. Are. We are a confessional body. We are a, a, a group of faith-filled believers. We have been drawn together by Jesus Christ himself. We have been given authority by Christ, and we are to use that authority to proclaim the kingdom and protect its witness. Let's hear Jesus teach us this directly in Matthew's gospel by reading these verses. Here's what the word of God says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. As our passage begins, Jesus and his disciples moved north away from the Sea of Galilee to a place called Caesarea Philippi signifying in a geographical way the continued expansion of Jesus' ministry to include the Gentiles, an expansion that we have been considering since Matthew 15, even before that. But the area here also provides an intimate setting for Jesus to have an important foundational conversation with his disciples. He stops and he asks them a question, Perhaps the most important question they will ever be asked. He asks it in an indirect way at first, focusing on those outside of this smaller group of disciples. Hey guys, who do people say the Son of Man is? And Son of Man is a self-referential term. It harkens back to a, a title from the Old Testament that refers to the Messiah. So who do people say that I am? Who do they think that I am. And the disciples begin to list off some of the answers that they've heard in their talks, their discussions with people around them. We find the answers in verse 14. Some agree with the assessment of Herod Antipas that we saw earlier in Matthew 14, verse 2, that Jesus was the resurrected John the Baptist. For how could a man that influential have his ministry cut so short? Some thought maybe this guy's Elijah. They were looking to the Old Testament for answers because Elijah, you may remember, in 2 Kings 2, did not die. He was called up in a whirlwind into heaven on a chariot of fire. What a way to go, right? But there was long thought that he would return, especially in light of the prophecy from Malachi and Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Others thought he was a, a resurrected prophet like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet from the Old Testament. Perhaps Jesus was this prophet returned to come and pronounce judgment as he suffered. And after Jesus heard their response, after he heard what the crowds had to say about him, Jesus now wants to hear directly from his disciples, these men who have been walking with him. So he asks them the direct question. Okay, that's who they say I am. Who do you say that I am? Verse 15. It's important to note here that all of Matthew's gospel has been building to this moment, this confession, this identification. You could say that, that this passage is actually the climax of Matthew's gospel. Think about it. Matthew has been showing us evidence he has been weaving the story of the Bible together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show how in Jesus all of this prophetic felt fulfillment has been realized. To show the divine power and authority uniquely given to Jesus to show us who he is. And in this moment of truth, at the direct ask of Jesus, Peter offers the central confession of the Christian faith in response there are a lot of things 
that Peter gets wrong in his life. But in this moment, he gets it gloriously right. Who do we say that you are, Jesus? We say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this confession brings about a a foundational response from Jesus regarding his church as he begins to unfold for us what he will entrust to all of those who, by God's grace, come to the same realization that Peter has come to. Let's look once again at verses 17 to 20. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. There are many ways that we could go about unpacking this message, the fullness of what Christ is teaching us here. But what I would like to do is simply break down that definition or that summary statement of the church that I offered you earlier, using it as a, an outline to understand all that Christ is offering us because there is a, a great deal of theological truth found in these few verses. Let me remind you of that summary statement again. The church is a confessional body of faith-filled believers drawn together by Jesus Christ himself, who have been given authority to proclaim the kingdom and protect its witness. Let's just move our way through this statement to understand what Christ is teaching us. Firstly, Jesus teaches us that the church is a confessional body, a confessional body. We have a common confession, a glorious declaration as a people that unites us, that causes us to come together for the glory of God. Friends, we have gathered here today because we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have gathered to worship him. We have gathered to make much of him. We have gathered to sing praise to him. We have gathered to talk about him with those who are in agreement about who he is. Among those who have made the same confession, we have not gathered today because of simple common interest. We have not gathered here today because we like the same games, the same sports, or even the same music. We have not gathered today for the sake of politics or civil engagement. We have gathered here today to exalt Christ because of who we confess him to be. And let me just be clear about the confession of this church because there are other churches, even in our area, who claim to be Christian but may say other things. We are not saying that Jesus was simply a good man. We are not saying he was simply a prophet. 
We are not saying that he was simply a moral teacher. He was those things, but friends, he was so much more. What we are declaring today is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is the God-man, the second person of the Trinity who descended from heaven, took on flesh to dwell among us, that he perfectly fulfilled the law as was promised. He is the obedient son of promise and took our place on the cross as the sacrificial lamb. We are saying that although he died, he did not stay dead. And now he is resurrected at the right hand of the Father as our glorious Lord. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are those who would say that he's not. They have respect for him as a moral teacher, a prophet, a good man. But as C.S. Lewis said, those are incompatible statements. The things that Jesus claims in Scripture cannot just allow us to consider him to be a good man or just a prophet or a moral teacher. With the things that he's saying, friends, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And what we believe is that he is the Lord. We are gathered today as a group of people who make that confession. Moreover, secondly, the church is a confessional body of faith-filled believers. It is true that we gather around this confession, but we are also united in the belief that we could never have arrived at this confession on our own. We believe that our ability to confess Jesus Christ as the Son is evidence of having been blessed by God as Peter was in verse 17 because it is God who has made the identity of Christ known to us. Hear me, if you, if any of us, are able to confess this reality about Jesus, it is because the Father has revealed it to us through the Son. This confession is evidence of God's work in your life, thus qualifying you to be a part of his people. Remember what we taught earlier, or what Jesus taught earlier in our study of Matthew in chapter 11, verse 27. He said, all things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And can we just take a moment this morning in awe of God's grace to us. If we are here, if we are offering confession that Jesus is the Christ, it's because he wants us to know him and he has made us aware of who he is. He wants us to have fellowship with him. He wants us to sit in awe of him. It is God's grace that we see Christ for who he is. The church is a confessional body of faith-filled believers, thirdly, drawn together by Jesus himself. We also believe that Jesus takes those whose eyes have been opened and knits them together as a people. You are not just saved from something, you are. You're also saved for something, to something. He brings us together sovereignly, as like-minded believers, placing us under the care, hopefully, of faithful shepherds and the care of one another as a mark, 
of his redemptive work, as a testimony to the power of the gospel as we become kingdom, kingdom outposts for the sake of the nations. Think about this. As we gather together, we have the ability, we have the responsibility to put on display the gospel. We have the responsibility as a people to declare the blessing of living under the rule and reign of God. We say to those who are looking at us, there is a difference when you live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. That there's peace where there would typically be not peace. All the divisions that could come and, and hamper us, all the, the natural places we divide, we have surrendered to the gospel because as we have been reconciled to the Father, we have been reconciled to each other. And now we long and delight to show what has been shown to us to one another. We long to show each other love. We long to show each other grace. We long to show each other mercy and forgiveness because how could we not when we have experienced so much of that at the hand of Almighty God. We are drawn together for our own good and also for the good of those who look on, for the good of the advancement of the gospel. Jesus has brought us together for a purpose. He is the one building his church. And this is a wonderful thing for us to realize, Bayleaf, and rest in, because it is not we who build the church. It doesn't matter ultimately what events we organize. It doesn't matter ultimately what amenities we offer. It doesn't matter how much we in our own effort tried to build this church. It must be Christ who builds his church. Listen, we can draw crowds, but we cannot build a people. That is a work of Christ. And he builds his church upon himself as the cornerstone. And then he places smaller stones upon him as we who have been blessed declare and confess the reality of Jesus. He, he takes smaller stones and puts them on top of himself to build this people who are his hands and feet in his physical absence. Now I wanna take a, a little moment to dive deeper into this reality of verse 18 because this verse in particular has been historically misunderstood and misapplied. As after Peter's confession, Jesus says to him, verse 17, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not prevail against it. Now, there are some expressions of the Christian faith who have elevated this moment and set Peter apart as a unique figure in the history of the church, unique in his authority, an authority that extends even today. But I want to make sure that we understand what's happening here. To do that, we need to look at the original language of the New Testament, the Greek. What's happening here is a play on words by Jesus. Peter's name in the Greek is Petros. The word for rock or stone in the Greek is Petra. So here's what Jesus is saying. Petros, this confession, men and women like you who have been blessed by God and have their eyes opened, they will be the Petra 
of the church a foundation. This confession, your evidence, will be the rock upon which I will build my church. You are the first, Peter, but there will be many, millions after you who confess the same thing, and I will join them together to build a new house for my glory. So, while this is a personal moment, and Peter is unique in the sense that his confession is the first, and he is an apostle, He is not unique in the sense that he becomes a singular power in the formation of the church. No, that role still belongs to Jesus. Peter is simply the first, and thank the Lord he was the first, but he is simply the first of many stones who will be placed upon the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, as he builds his church, as he brings us together. The church as a confessional body of faith-filled believers drawn together by Jesus himself who have been given authority. Number four, we have been given authority. This called out people who share a common and divinely given confession will also be given authority. Jesus says we're gonna have the keys to the kingdom. We will be given stewardship over the kingdom. We have a responsibility to guard the kingdom until Jesus returns. And as stewards, as those who have been entrusted, we have been given the power to bind and loose. And essentially, here's what that means. We have been given the authority to declare that something is of the kingdom or is not of the kingdom. To declare that someone is of the kingdom or is not of the kingdom. Let's, let's press in here to make sure we understand how we are to use this authority because it, it brings in the fifth part of our definition to consider this morning. The church is a confessional body of faith-filled believers drawn together by Jesus himself who have been given authority to what? To proclaim the kingdom and to protect its witness. Here's how we are to use our authority, Bayleaf Baptist Church. As a people, we have a responsibility to protect the pure message of the gospel, to teach truth, God's truth, and reject false teaching. We see echoes of this in verse 20, when Jesus says to his disciples, hey, don't go tell anyone that I'm the Christ yet. It wasn't Christ's time yet to be exalted in Jerusalem upon the cross. Moreover, people were still thinking of his work in flawed ways, that he would be an earthly king only who would establish an earthly reign. Jesus is saying here, no, disciples, you need to understand fully my work so that then you can go and teach it faithfully. And not until you have the Holy Spirit will you be able to do that. And listen, church family, our responsibility today is the same. We are called to proclaim Christ. We are called to warn against perversions of the gospel and make clear what God has said. Now, thankfully, you and I today do have the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us, and we have the completed canon of God's word. This is helpful to us. Listen, if you're ever in a situation when you're hearing someone teach and you have that that Holy Spirit moment where a red flag comes up and they're saying something different than what God has said. I can tell you who is right. The word of God must always be preeminent. This is what God has said. 
And we need to make sure that we, as the people of God, hold to what God has said and nothing else. We should not embrace perversion. We should not embrace things that just tickle our ears. We must rest on the word of God. We also, though, have the responsibility to protect the witness of the church. The witness of the church. We have a a truth to proclaim, but we also must protect its witness. And here's how we do that. To not receive anyone who has not made the central confession that we have discussed into our fellowship. Think about this. If someone is not able to proclaim alongside us as we have that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that is evidence of the fact that God has not completed his work upon them. It's also evidence of the fact that they're not a Christian. It's a baseline. A baseline requirement of being a follower of Christ is that you confess what Peter confessed. And when we receive someone into our membership who does not have that confession, we threaten the witness of the church. Moreover, we should not embrace or accept anyone who is living in a, in a way that doesn't align with that confession. We have to protect the witness of this body as a kingdom outpost. So if you cannot make that confession or if you make that confession but your life doesn't align with it, there's an issue there that we need to address for the sake of the gospel, for the protection of the kingdom. And even beyond that, we have the responsibility through discipline, which we'll cover more in Matthew chapter 18, to remove anyone from our membership who is no longer living in a way that advances the witness to the lordship of Christ and refuses to repent. Now, if I could just for a moment affirm what we as a people are doing in regards to church membership here at our church. Many of you know that we have strengthened our membership requirements, our membership process at Bayleaf, and we have done it with this teaching and other like-minded teaching in the New Testament in mind. It's important for us to know who we are receiving into the church. Not every Baptist church teaches the same thing. Not every Christian church teaches the same thing. We need to be sure who we are receiving into our church because it matters. Because we are ultimately saying something about their spiritual state as we receive them. We're making a gospel declaration as we receive them. Listen, in a couple of weeks, I think it's September 11th, is that right? Our next family meeting? We're going to have a next family meeting. And on that night, we're going to propose and hopefully welcome in 20 to 30 new members in our church. It's going to be a great night. But here's what you need to know. Here's your responsibility as as a current member of our church. When you vote on receiving the these proposed members at the recommendation of your pastors, when you vote on receiving them, here's what you're saying: We believe that God has evidenced His work upon these people in their lives such that they have been able to give confession that Jesus is the Christ. And we also believe that he is calling them to join us at this church to help our witness for the sake of the kingdom. So don't take that vote lightly. We're we're saying something that has eternal ramifications as we welcome people into this fellowship. It's also important that we keep watch over our flock for signs that some are not following Jesus, to call them to repentance. And if repentance doesn't come, to act, to remove them from the membership for the sake of protecting the church, 
to say something like this, even though at one time we thought we saw fruit in the life of this individual and we welcomed them into the membership of this church, there have been evidences of sin in their life that they have refused to repent of that make us question whether or not the Holy Spirit is active and working in their lives. And so we no longer in good conscience can say that we can fellowship with them or welcome their witness into the witness of this church so they must be removed. Because it calls into question what it is that we as a church are declaring and saying. It's an act of protection for us and also, by the way, for them. Because we don't want to give them false comfort that they are a believer when it's abundantly clear, and it, it must be to get to that point, when it's abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit is not working in their life in a way that he needs to for them to be following him. Listen, this is a hard, difficult, sad, troubling, but enormously important work. Think about it. How often have people used the excuse of hypocrites to not come to church? How often have you heard people say something like, you guys don't really believe what you say. Look at your life. Look at these members. There's no difference in their life, in my life. It's just a lot more guilt and a lot more places my money has to go. Church, while we will never be perfect, we must be repentant. And we must make sure that our lives are adding to the witness of this church, are benefiting the advancement of the gospel, that they are not a hindrance someone has to get over in order to get to Jesus. We must live lives that evidence the supremacy and blessing of Christ. We must live lives that the Lord can use to draw people to himself. And remember, as we do this authoritative work, declaring the gospel and protecting its witness, declaring the kingdom and protecting its witness. We are doing it, resting in the victory of Jesus. Remember, the second half of verse 18. Peter, you're the first rock of many that I'm going to use to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me say that again. This is important for us to hear. The gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. Listen, there have been extreme moments of difficulty in the history of the church. There have been divisions so sharp that people who claim to know Christ literally murdered one another. Now, I've been involved in some tense business meetings. But I've never had anyone struck, strap me to a post outside and light a fire around me to kill me. That's happened in the history of the church because they didn't like the fact that the Bible was translated into the common language of the people. They murdered each other over translations. We failed as leaders, our witness has been threatened as unfaithful leaders compromise their morality or what it is that we are to teach. We failed as a people to protect the most vulnerable among us. We've not always done the work that we are called to well, and we've fallen 
to the temptation of the enemy. But while we have on occasion failed, listen, there has never been a true threat to the church. There's never been a true threat to what Jesus has and is building. He is building his church. He will sustain her. The enemy will come against us as Jesus promised, but know that the gates of hell and all that hell represents, death, sin, they will not prevail against the glorious bride of Christ. Praise be to God. Oh, that you would be stirred to remember today the importance of what it is that we do as the people of God. Church, we are a confessional body. We confess, as Peter confessed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We are a body of faith-filled believers who by God's grace have had our eyes opened, have had this, the scales of sin removed to behold Jesus in his glory. And he has drawn us together and given us authority to proclaim his kingdom and protect it. How can we respond this morning to the important teaching of Jesus here? Let me just first talk to those who would say they're not believers. Those who would say, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. Well, let me ask you the question that Jesus asked of his disciples. Who do you say that Jesus is? There must be at least some interest in him for you to be here today. What draws you to Christ? Do you think that he's just a good teacher, a prophet, an important person in the history of the world? Do you look up to him because he was a, a moral man? Don't stop there. Would you ask even now, we're gonna pray alongside you, would you ask the Spirit to help you see all that Jesus is? Would you pray for that blessing that Jesus spoke over Peter? For the Lord to open your eyes to see Christ in his fullness and that would lead you to repentance and belief. Would you this morning, as the Bible teaches us, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved, that he is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Would you give your life this morning to Jesus? In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front and we'd love to speak with you more about what it means to follow after Christ. Let's get clarity today. Don't miss Jesus. Let's get clarity today about who he is and what that means for your life. For those who are a part of God's people, will you embrace this God-given identity and work? Will you commit to the local church? Listen, I know there are a lot of things that compete for our attention. There are a lot of things that can pull us away from God's people on a Sunday morning. I'm just asking you to remember the importance of what we do, to remember the importance for you and for the world of gathering with God's people on Sunday and as much as is possible, be here. As the author of Hebrews says, do not forsake the fellowship as some have gotten in the habit of doing. Come so that we can stir each other up to love and good works and all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. Be here. Will you commit to the church and serve the church? Will you give thanks for what God has shown you? If you can make a confession 
that allows you to be a part of this church, if you can confess this morning alongside Peter that Jesus is the Christ, would you give thanks this morning that God revealed himself to you through, through the Son? That you in your own sin, you in your own flesh, you in your own ability could never have come to that realization apart from the grace of God? Would you give thanks for the grace of God in your life? And would you also give thanks that as he has called you out of darkness, he has knit you together with this people? Oh, what a blessing Bayleaf Baptist Church is. I can say that. We've been here a year now. So grateful to be a part of this people. Are you grateful to be a part of this people? I've been, I know I'm just knocking on 40, but I've been around a little bit. I've seen a lot of churches. I'm telling you guys, there's something unique about this people. The way the love of God is shown here, the way that we encourage each other, the generosity of this people, there is something unique happening in this body. What a joy to be a part of this people. Don't take it for granted. There are people around the world who would love to have access to a church like Bayleaf. And don't. There are people who are longing for fellowship with any believer. And there's none around them. They are literally lights in darkness. May we give God praise for the provision of Bayleaf Baptist Church in our own lives and hopefully in the community. And then finally, will we commit to exercising the authority of the kingdom of God in a way that brings glory. Will we proclaim the kingdom? Will we pro proclaim the truth of God's kingdom faithfully? I said to the first service, I'm gonna say it to you. If I ever come in this pulpit and do not open the word of God and don't ask you to open the word of God, you have my permission, you have my expectation to fire me. Because I would be doing a disservice to you. I'd be doing pastoral malpractice. You didn't come here to hear me. I don't, I don't have any wisdom. My wife's going to give an amen. I don't have any wisdom <laughs> to offer you. My job is to proclaim what God has said. We are to thirst for and, and seek after what God has said. We're to learn about his kingdom. We're to learn about our king. Let's make sure we do that every week. And we're going to be committed to proclaiming the kingdom and King Jesus. And secondly, let's be committed to protect, protecting the witness of this church. Which is in part a witness to the kingdom. Listen. Everybody in this room is a sinner, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. And then say, I know. <laughs> but you're a sinner saved by grace. Amen. Do you know what sinners do? You know what, you know what broken people do? We mess up. We mess up. We do really dumb things. We hurt each other. We say things we don't mean. We act in ways that can threaten the foundation of this church. But what sets us apart, church, is that we act in a gospel way. We respond in a gospel way. We put the gospel on display because we don't hold grudges the way the world does. We forgive. How many times? Seven times? How about seven times 70? We forgive. We show grace. We show mercy. We put it on display as an act of testimony to what God and his grace has done toward us. Let's protect that witness. If there's ever an offense, you be the first. You be the first. Go. Hey, listen, I do not want to threaten the witness of this church. 
I do not want to affect the witness of the gospel. I'm putting it at you to say, there's something obviously going on. I want forgiveness so we can walk forward in peace, so we can testify together about the goodness of God. What would normally divide people, I'm not going to let divide us because I care too much about the kingdom of God and his church. Let's be active in that. Listen. Let's also be open and receptive to moments of correction. When a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, hey, listen, there's something in your life that's not aligning with who Jesus is. And I wanna, in love and humility, bring it to your attention. Can we just commit as a people to take that before the Lord? Before we respond, before we get defensive, can we just say, you know what? God, if there's any truth to this, I'm gonna see it as an act of grace Is there a part of my life that doesn't line up with Jesus? I'm gonna put it at at your feet because I care more about his reputation than mine and I wanna do whatever it takes to make much of Christ. If a pastor comes and says, hey, what you're teaching, what you're saying, or something you're doing in your life, it doesn't align with the the witness of scripture and the witness of our church, would you just at least have the the moment? And we don't do this lightly, okay? But would you at least have the, the self-control before you react negatively? Who are you to say that? Who are you to tell me this? I know some things about you. Let me, let me start writing down the list of things that I know about you, Pastor Jared. You said a bad word in service last week. <laughs> Don't go watch. It's not there anymore. <laughs> Praise God for editing. And don't be going to Pastor Kyle either. Let me tell you about all the the ways that you've messed up, Pastor Jared. Listen, I know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's claiming to be perfect. Here's what we're claiming. We are imperfect people seeking a perfect king. And God has given us the, the benefit of his word and the spirit and each other to help us look more like Jesus. Let's do that in love. Let's protect the witness of this church. Let's not get to the point where Matthew 18 has to come into play because we are willing and open to the Spirit working in our lives to lead us to repentance where repentance is necessary. Will you be willing to walk with us in this way? To look more like Jesus? To show people more of Jesus so that more people can know Jesus? Oh, that would be true of our church. Let's protect the witness of this body, friends because we've been given incredible responsibility and authority. God's church is a wonderful, glorious gift. It is the key in God's divine wisdom to advance the gospel to the nations. We are so blessed to be a part of it and we are called to protect it. for the sake of the kingdom. Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? Spend some time asking, to, asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to the preaching of God's word, to this incredible declaration about the identity and the work of the church. First of all, do you know Jesus? Have you ever come to a point in your life when you've been able to declare by God's grace with the help of the spirit that Jesus is the Christ? the son of the living God. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers down here who would love to speak with you. If you feel the Lord removing the scales from your eyes, if you're seeing Jesus in a unique way today, and if you can 
in faith declare that you believe he is the son, that he is the resurrected Lord, and you want to give your life to him. Come talk to us. We'd love to talk with you more and pray with you. For the rest of us who are in Christ, will we take the work of the church seriously? Let's remember who we are, a confessional people, a faith-filled people, built together, knitted together by Jesus himself. Oh, praise be to God. And let's remember our responsibility to proclaim the kingdom and protect its witness. Father, would you help us be the kind of people who honor you, who are worthy of your name? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.